0: Yeah, you know, um, being a Christian, when Jesus called us, he called us out of our comfort zone. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so those are the terms of discipleship. And that means, number one, you got to say no to yourself. No to all the creature comforts. No to your agenda. And number two, got to say yes to Jesus. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross. And so when you say yes to Jesus, what that means is whatever it is that you want me to do, even if it means sacrifices and suffering, so be it. I say yes to you. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's really the call. And so sometimes it means that you go on missions trips and you get sick. And, and some guys that are missionaries, they die. Thank God Robert didn't die. You know, but but he could have died. <laughs> you know, when you stand before God one day, He's not going to scan you for money or medals. He's going he's to scan you for scars. What type of sacrifice did you make? What what type of suffering did you experience because you followed Christ and you said no to yourself? I encourage you guys, man, get caught up in that because that's what that's what Christianity is, and you're going to get blessed when you do that. I'm not saying you're going to be a missionary or a pastor, but you might. But whatever it is, whatever it is that God has called you to do, and you just have to, you've got to repent of your own plan for your own life. Okay? So let's pray for the, the people in Mexico and, and the work that was done there. Let's pray for our sisters that are probably coming down from the mountain pretty soon, and we'll also pray for our study. Lord, we thank you so much that we can pray to you and, and just know it makes a difference, Father. Like Robert was saying, they're bathing and in, in prayer because we know, we are 100% thoroughly convinced that we can do nothing without you. We can give food, we can say words, and people can come forward and, and cry and whatever. They, a lot of things can happen. But if you're not in it, Lord, then it's vain. And so, Lord, I pray... And I thank you, Lord, that, that you're you're in these things and that people really are getting saved. You're speaking life into them. I pray that, that churches would thrive. I pray for that new church plant down in La Paz, that you would continue to draw the people to you and bless the work and ministry there in Mexico. I thank you for Victor and Sonia. I pray especially for them, I hedge about them. Because they remind me of uh, the, the Paul the Apostle in the book of Acts who would just go on these missionary journeys. And So bless them. Thank you for uh, healing Robert. And uh, Lord, just having your hand on every aspect of it, we want to make sure we thank you and give you the glory and the honor. And also pray that you seal the work in the hearts of the ladies, Lord, that um, it would not be uh, in any way in vain, but it would just be an awesome work you've done. and. Praying, Lord, also for our study today, that you would meet our needs. You know everyone here, our heart, our hurts, our our struggles. Uh, The Lord, you can reach us. So I I pray that you would teach us your word and do a mighty work, Father. We love you. Uh, Lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Well, if you have your Bible today, let's open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we near the conclusion of this letter, we're going to see in verses 12 through 15 that, that Paul deals with uh, relationships uh, within the church. You know, when you guys get up in the morning and you have your Fruit Loops, for, well, maybe you have coffee first. How many of you have coffee first? Yeah, you know, first coffee, then, you know, your Fruit Loops or whatever it is that you might have for breakfast. I usually slice a little banana in there and put some you know, honey nut Cheerios or something, you know. Anyways, um, but when you when you wake up in the morning and you're getting ready for a Sunday morning service, you know, you pray, Lord, um, do a work in, in my life. And, and as you come to church service, you want God to work in you, but I believe you also want God to work through you. Like there's this person right here and you don't know what they're going through, but that person that's sitting next to you that you don't know, that God just kind of brought into your path, they actually thought about taking their own life last night. Or that person over there, their, their marriage is just about to end. They're they're hurting. That one over there, they're dying inside. And so, you know, different places. Some of them are, are really faint-hearted. Some of them are hard-hearted. And God wants to use your life to help them, to minister to them. That's what really church is is all about. We gather together. We stir one another up for love and good works. We, like Ephesians four says, every member, whatever it provides, it it builds up the body, so that we can actually be a healthy people. I believe, and I'm convinced, and it's my dream, and it's my prayer always that when people come to church service here, that they would grow, that they would fall in love with God. They would become a godly man and a godly woman, in spite of the things that you 're going through, in spite of the circumstances that you find yourself in, you know that you can actually be strong in the lord that 's my prayer, and God can make you a uh, an outstanding husband or father or you know mom, a wife, friend, the single people that you would stay pure, you would stay pure focused and and serving the Lord with all that time that you have just whatever it is and that God would then infiltrate this world and we have that guy over there and he's a he's a Christian construction worker that just shines for Jesus or that doctor over there that firefighter that lawyer that person that works you know at at Starbucks or Target it doesn't really matter wherever God puts you that that we would shine for the Lord and so, you know, we come together, and, and when we understand the way it works, it is not just me going to church and hearing that guy talk and then and then leaving, but me coming to church and participating in this thing because this is what we're called to do. And there is a structure and organization. Then it's going to be so cool. God is going to bless you, and I see the Lord doing that. I get so excited when I see people really coming in and really growing, really changing, transformation in their life. See, and that's my prayer for all of us, because I believe that God has a plan for us. I really do. He's given us certain gifts. He's given us certain places and functions in the body. And when we all function together, man, we we can change this world. We can change this city and the surrounding areas. We can be used by God because of His glorious grace to actually make a difference in, in Cambodia in a great way, or, or Baja, California in a great way. Why? Because one by one, people catch the vision and they fall in love with the Lord. We become healthy Christians. We're going to see a, a large part of how that happens in today's study. Because look at First Thessalonians 5, verse 12. It says this, And we urge you, brethren... To recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. We'll see today the interaction in the church. First, dealing with leaders. And then secondly, just the church in general. He mentions the leaders in verses 12 and 13. And the first thing he says is he urges them, notice there in verse 12, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. We're uh, to recognize the leaders. Um, the word right here translated recognize. It's usually translated just to know. Like uh, KJV translates it to know, you know, to notice them, to, to see who they are. Um, and part of the way that you'll see that is you're going to see, at least it's supposed to see anyways, that they labor. We urge you, brethren, it says in verse 12, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you. In the Lord, and you'll see him, you know, walking around. You'll see him doing certain things. Uh, they're usually there when there's work to be done. Um, and a leader is one who's, who's supposed to labor. Right here, the word labor it means to labor with wearisome effort and toil and grow weary and tired. Sometimes even exhausted. You know, when you're a Christian leader, you're supposed to work hard. Right, and that's what the Bible says. If the leader is a spiritual leader, then he's going to be hardworking. He's going to be laboring in the word and digging in the word. He's going to get on his knees and on his face, and he's really going to be praying hard. He'll be meeting with other people. He'll be counseling with those in crisis situations. He'll be having you know, marital uh, meetings and dealing with issues, and then he's emptying the trash and vacuuming the rug, mopping the floors, running errands. Basically, the spiritual leader, those guys are supposed to be laboring, doing whatever... Needs to be done. That's why it's important for us to know that the title of minister it means servant. That's what we do, or we're supposed to do, anyways, as leaders. It's one who executes the commands of another, a servant, a waiter, so to speak. And so Paul says right here: Recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And and so that's the structure. You know, we have uh, people who are over us in the Lord, our, our overseers, uh, uh, elders, slash pastors, assistant pastors, maybe senior pastors within the church. There is a spiritual structure within the church because organization is required for any organism. So your body it functions together and it has a certain structure; otherwise, it wouldn't be able to function properly. And Paul says that's true in the church as well. You guys, when you come in, and I know some people, they don't like it. They don't like the concept of leaders. They don't like the concept of having anyone over them. But we need that. We won't get anywhere without someone who's leading the way. And so Paul says, recognize them. Uh, You'll see them uh, laboring. and, And also you'll see them admonishing you. That's what we're supposed to do as leaders anyways. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to admonish. Now, we don't use that word too much, but literally in the Greek, it means to warn. In in everyday terminology, uh, it means to warn, even reprimand somebody uh, firmly if necessary Why? Because we care for you. I I don't want you, we don't want you to, to go to hell. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. But if you don't believe in him, you will perish. See, leaders are supposed to warn you about things like that. The road that you're on right now—if you stay on that road—where will it lead you? We see what's ahead, and you have to, you know, you have to accept the, the warnings, uh, the admonishments. That's what leaders are supposed to do, anyways. And and I know it's not a popular experience nowadays. People don't like to be, you know, no negative words, no warning, no reprimands. But it's good for us. It's the job description of a leader. And really, the only reason God warns us is because there's danger ahead, and so Paul says, "You know, recognize these guys who are doing such things, and then he says in verse thirteen, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and so you know you esteem them um you know that means to you know you, you think." a little differently. You consider them in the place they are in. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure is so clear is that no man is better than any other man. Right? You guys know that, right? Um, And they're they're not better in any way. We're all human beings. We're all... I'm more wretched, I would say, than probably 95% of you. There's probably a few of you that are, are worse than me. But i mean i'm i'm just a man, and I have my leaders in my life, and I love them, and I pray for them every day, but I know they 're just men, so it 's got nothing to do with thinking that they're like holy or something in a, in a special sense but but what it means is that they have a certain function and office and title and task and role and responsibility. And, and they have spiritual sacrifices and warfare that sometimes they're not, it's not the same. They're the target. If you can smite the shepherd, then you can scatter the sheep. There's a little difference there, and we need to see that. And so when you see these guys that are in those places, you, you just pray for them. You just pray for them. Uh, you, you, you see God's hand of grace on them, and, and, and even it's, it says you love them. You know, when you look at this and, and, and you're like, well, I don't like him, though. He's short and he has a bald head or something. I don't know, you know. It's okay. You, you, you don't have to like me. But you got to love me, right? <laughs> and, and this is what he says. To esteem them very highly in love, notice for their work's sake. It might not necessarily even be for them. You know, it it, it may be just because of the work that God's called them to do. You know, the the thing that we see right here is we're grateful to God for these guys, but really the main reason we read here for recognizing them and esteeming them is simply because uh, their work is hard and their work is holy, and you should want God to work through them in a way that would be successful. And so not everyone's called to the job of a leader, but everyone is called to help the leader do a better job. And and the antithesis to this, because more than likely what was happening there in Thessalonica, was there was some people resisting the leadership. We're going to see it in just a bit. You know, if you come against your leaders and you despise them and refuse to recognize them or esteem them in any way, you might actually hinder the work of God because of your resistance. I mean, this is the way it works in any team. If you've got a a team of basketball players, and this is kind of what we're going to see in our study today, we all have different responsibilities. The guards usually aren't as as tall, but they're quick, maybe they can bust the three-pointers, and they can pass really well, or ball handling, and, you know, the center, he can dunk the ball, and, you know, just different things, right? Everybody has different places, and then you have your coach, and your coach is the one who says, or oh, these are the plays, and these are the players that play, and so it's just this whole teamwork thing, but if you go against the coach, your team will suffer, and it's kind of like that in the kingdom of God as well. You know, see what the work they're doing, and because of their work's sake, even if you don't like the guy, even if it's if it's just that, I want you know the this church to thrive. I want people to be saved. I want people to experience victory in their life. And so I'm going to pray for that guy, and I'm going to love him. You know, there's a similar passage in Hebrews 13:17. It says, "Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls." As those who must give account let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. And so, you know, in dealing here with the church, he 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 deals with leaders in the church and um and then he kind of deals with the church in general. He says right there to be at peace, notice the end of verse 13, to be at peace among yourselves. And so How do we do it here now in the church, you know? And uh, if you have a team, and again, we'll go back to maybe a basketball illustration, or it could be football, baseball, and then you start getting guys that just start having like a a bad relationship. We'll just say maybe a Kobe Bryant and a Shaq. You know, at first they're getting along, everything's good. But then when, when they start butting heads and they start fighting, what does that do to the team? Yeah, I would say this: that if you're going to be a successful team, it's not going to be the superstar who makes the team win. It's going to be the chemistry in the team. That's why the Kansas City Royals are so good right now, right? I mean, these guys beat the best team in baseball, the Angels, right? They swept them, man. What's, where did that come from? And now, then they, beat, they they swept the Orioles. Now I don't know what's going to happen in the World Series. I mean, I got hundred dollars on them, but I'm not, I'm not sure, you know. But I just know there's this chemistry. There's this confidence there's something that we can learn from in in the church. There's not really any superstars It's together this victory that's what God wants to do in the church, and so you got your leaders, nothing special about them, but they do have a special work, and you got everybody else and we have to number one be at peace with each other. Um, it's a present tense command I command you to always be at peace. And it can be difficult. It can be a challenge, right? Um, From what I understand, uh, during the last 4,000 years, there have only been like 268 years of peace. Imagine that. In spite of all the well-thought-out, good-intentioned peace treaties, man, you hardly have any peace. In the last uh, three centuries, there have been over 300 wars in Europe alone. So it's hard to have peace. It's a problem in the world and sometimes it becomes a problem in the church. You've probably heard that poem. To dwell above with saints we love, oh what grace and glory. But to live below with saints we know. Now that's a different story, right? I know this guy, man. He's going to give me a hard time. But we need to do our best to cultivate Christian peace and to keep that peace. As we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, endeavoring, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, you see something going on. Maybe God will use your life to bring peace in this church. We have to do our best. The Bible says in Romans twelve eighteen, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, this passage teaches us to do our best, But you want to know what else it teaches us? It teaches us that sometimes it's not possible. You know, and I've seen things in families that just break your heart. I've seen things in churches that just break your heart. You know, when I think of this, I think it's rare, but I think it does happen. You know, I think of really the situation going on in the Middle East right now. For example, I'm not a political analyst by any means, but when I consider the conflict in the Middle East, concerning the nation of Israel and the Arab, Palestinian, and Muslim world, I think of a situation where the vast majority of non-Jews, they, 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 want, they pretend they want peace, but they really, deep down inside, they want the annihilation of Israel. So I'm not using that as a cop-out. All I'm saying is there are those times and we have to do our best and we have to pray and ask God for wisdom and discernment. But I'm not going to make a peace with somebody that's going to hurt my kids. or You know, you just ask the Lord for, for wisdom in these things. There are those times, you know, you do your best, but it's just not possible. Thank God that one day there will be peace, you guys. Um, we're going to be home in heaven and, man, everything will be taken away. I just can't wait for that day. Until then, I I go before the Lord and I and I and I pray. And I ask God for wisdom every day because I know how important this is. This is what the Bible says we're to do with each other. We're to be at peace with each other, and more than likely, that's connected with the previous verses as far as individuals who are resisting their leadership. Secondly, we're to warn the unruly. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. It's interesting to know right here the word translated warn is the same Greek word translated admonish in verse 12. So leaders warn, but we all warn, right? We all admonish. And to warn someone is simply to inform them of impending danger or problems in their life that might result as they stay on the road that they're on. You have to have vision. You have to know the Bible. You have to see where people are. I see the road that you're on, and I see where it's leading. And we need to warn them because lives are at stake. You know, warning comes, it comes like, man, for example, someone's living in sin, okay? Don't think, oh, it's okay, oh, no big deal, ain't no thing but a chicken wing, right? It's just sin. You know, but you guys got to know that if someone's living in insistent, persistent, consistent sin, that it's not, they're going to end up in a, in a bad place. Some people treat sin like a cream puff when it's really a rattlesnake. That's what Billy Sunday said. And so you got to warn them. You know, it reminds me of a story I I read during the 1982 war in the Falkland Islands. You guys remember that? Any of you are old enough to remember that? Between England and Argentina, the Royal Navy's 3,500-ton destroyer, the HMS Sheffield, was sunk by a single missile fired from an Argentine fighter jet. It, It caused the people of England to wonder If modern surface warships were obsolete, like sitting ducks for today's sophisticated missiles. But what happened was this. Later it was revealed that the Sheffield's defenses, they did pick up the incoming missile. And the computer on the ship correctly identified it for what it was, an incoming missile, French-made Exocet. But the computer was programmed to ignore Exocets as friendly. You see the 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 battleship wouldn't have been sunk if they only would have acknowledged that, that that's not friendly fire. And I think in our life when we see sin for what it is, we got to understand it's not friendly. And The Lord tells you, you know, to abstain from things. The Lord tells you certain things that we have to Not only not do, but do. And if we don't, if we disobey God, then we will suffer the consequences. Not because he's going to smack you, but because that's the law. It's written in the code of life. And so we warn people because we love people. We admonish them of these things. Paul tells the Thessalonians to warn the unruly Now, the word unruly, it means to be disorderly. Literally in the Greek, it means out of rank. It was often used of soldiers deviating from their prescribed order or rule. Uh, It was also used in Greek society of those who did not show up for work. And that is a combination of what was happening here in Thessalonica. They were resisting the leaders because the leaders were telling these guys because this is what was happening. They weren't working. They're like, hey, Jesus is coming. Can I have a submarine sandwich? Because I don't, I can't go to work. I'm waiting for Jesus, you know, or, or whatever, you know. And 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 Paul said, no, go to work. <laughs> You're idle. You're lazy. You know, you need to work. And uh, these guys were resisting authority. Uh, they were unruly in that sense. And we're going to see it's mentioned in First Thessalonians four. If you'll notice, uh, back in verse 11, he talks about these guys that need to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And then later we'll see him again in 2 Thessalonians when we get there. Where Paul literally has to tell these guys in 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 10 through 14, if you don't want to work, then you're not going to eat. Oh, that might get him going, huh? And so he says, you know, be at peace among yourselves. If you see somebody who's unruly, then then warn them, admonish them, right? And then the next thing he says there in verse 14, he says to comfort the faint-hearted. Comfort the faint-hearted. And so, you guys, when we come to church service, man, we ask the Lord to, to give us his eyes. You know, to see people the way that he sees them. You know, when we come to church, well, how's she doing? I wonder how they're doing. Are they faint-hearted? Is this person that I'm talking to that God brought in my path, Are they maybe an unruly person that needs to be warned, a faint-hearted person that needs to be comforted? You know, we see our leaders, and we see different people in different situations, and now we know what to do. And when we see the faint-hearted, and those are usually translated as timid, um, what we do is we comfort them. It's an interesting word, faint-hearted. It means literally small-souled. But it it practically means this. It means somebody who wants to give up. I wonder if there's anyone here that wants to give up. You want to give up on the calling of God on your life. You want to give up. Or maybe you want to give up on your life as a whole. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some people here, they actually contemplate the thought of suicide. You know, and I've learned over the years, and I'm sure you have as well, that you don't take those things lightly. Someone says, you know what, I don't want to go on. You know, and and, and I just, I want to end my life. You take those things seriously. Because I've seen, I'm sure you've seen people do that. I mean, I, maybe there's some here that want to give up on your marriage. Or you want to give up on your, you know, I, it could be your your child. It could be um, the Lord, you're like, you know, I've been going to church for all this time and I I don't know what your your thing is, but you know, you're like I don't have a lot of money or I don't have a house or I don't have a girlfriend or I don't have a boyfriend or you know, I, and then so you you choose not to serve God anymore. You're faint-hearted. That's what that word means. Somebody who doesn't they don't want to go on. And and Paul says when you come across somebody like that, you comfort them. You lift them up. Do you realize that God can use you to lift somebody up off the ground who's ready to give up? I pray that we would know that. You know, It's not just you know everybody coming in and they're going to hear the, the study or whatever and they're going to go home and they're going to be all, all better now, all fine and dandy. No, it's God brought somebody into your life And then you find out where they are. You find out what's going on. You comfort them. The Greek word means to to come near them and encourage them, to calm them, even to console them. And so when you have someone who's uh, unruly, don't comfort them. When you see someone who's on the wrong road, you warn them. Some people, they're like cookie cutters. They do everything the same. It's always comforting. I'm kind of like that. I tend to be that way. And you're like, no, you're not. Well, yeah, by nature, I usually am like that. I'll comfort everybody. I'm soft on everybody. But God says, don't comfort the unruly. And there are others that are always like, boom, 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 boom. They're always like the mean guys. They're always like the hard words. And what do they do? They warn everybody, even the faint-hearted. And God says, don't do that. When you come across somebody who's faint-hearted, you comfort them. It's like Henry will pray sometimes. He'll pray, Lord, you know, uh comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> that's the way we need, because that's what the that's what the Bible says. And we find out where people are, and then we minister to them accordingly, because this is this is real, you know. I mean, lift the faint hearted with words of truth and encouragement. We've seen in this letter to the Thessalonians that a lot of them were hurting because people had died. And and that just brings me to another point. If I can just say this, because over the years, I, I finally feel like maybe I'm getting to a place of uh, maturity. I'm still not there yet. So, so those of you guys who are in 20s or 30s, you know, you're probably more advanced than I was, but it's going to take time, man. You know, when you get older, and this is one of the things I've learned. I'm so dense, but i learned that when somebody dies and then here's this person over there and their and their husband died or their father died or their child died or you know don't don't forget about them you pray for them you keep a list and you find out someone died you keep their name right there and you pray for them pray for them for 5 years cuz it takes a long time and they're going to go through it it hurts and every once in a while, you know, you send them a little note or, or you ask them, how are you doing? Or you just might even say to them, you know, I, I know your mom died. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. It's a year later. How could you remember? How did you know I was hurting? Because I know that's how life is. This is what we're supposed to do in the church. We try to be at peace among ourselves. We have to warn the unruly. And we find someone who's faint hearted and they want to give up and they're despondent. We comfort them somehow, some way. Ask God for wisdom. We comfort them really with the comfort that God gives us, according to 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 4. There are other people in the church that you might recognize when you come in. In verse 14, he says, To uphold the weak. And so you're like, well, what's the weak? Well, the word right here means without strength, due to their sickness. They're they're sick. Uh, they don't know the word. They don't know the word, or they haven't been taught the word. You know, there's something that's creeped in, some type of maybe bad theology, and you uphold them, uh, you take tender care of them, you help them. That's what the Greek word says. It says you support them. It's interesting, the word is found four times in the New Testament. Once it's translated support, and the other three times it's translated to hold. You hold them. And so you can almost picture someone who's too weak to stand, and you need to hold them up or maybe even carry them through. You know, find these types of people, you guys, that are here. And, you know, I would venture to say that a lot of us can identify, that's me. I'm weak. I haven't been able really to serve the Lord. I haven't been walking with the Lord. I haven't been praying. I've been blowing it with my wife. I've been blowing it with my, my kids. I'm weak. You know, or, or I'm hurting. You don't understand what's been going on. This is the way that my husband's been treating me. This is the things that are going on at, at work. This is where I am. You know, and and so and so died. I mean, you know, you find out where we are, and there are those who are unruly. They don't like rules. You mean to tell me I can't take a coffee in, my, in the sanctuary? What kind of church is this? <laughs> and this almost seems like whatever the rules are, I'm just going to go against the rules because I don't like rules. I don't like, any of you guys like that? <laughs> so, you know, you find out where people are. And so there are some specifics, but then there are some general things that we'll close with. Look at the end of verse 14. He says right there, be patient with who? Oh, but not that one, Lord, right? <laughs> yeah, that one. They're, they're, they're hard head' they're, they're knucklehead. They're, they're hard to handle. And the Lord just says, Just like I'm patient with you, mijo. Just like I am so long-suffering with you. And I can testify to that. How God is so long-suffering with me. We're supposed to be that way with others as well. With all of them, up to this point, we've been instructed to kind of see where different people are—leaders, troublemakers, the hurting, the sick—minister to their unique weeds needs in unique ways. But now we're dealt instructions on how to deal with all, and we read first of all to be patient with them. You guys, let's give each other room to grow. Let's give each other time to grow. Uh, the word right here refers to being long suffering, slow to avenge, which kind of leads us to our next command. He says in there in verse 15, see that no one, so now we're being, you know, overall, no one renders evil for evil to anyone. So someone does you wrong and they insult you. a lot of times you feel entitled or you almost feel like you have to insult them back because what happens if you don't insult them back what happens if you don't put them in their place (gasps) they might do it again right so you man you got to take care of business right (laughs) and lord says no as christians it's a little different man you render no one evil for evil to no one and you turn the other cheek, you share a word of kindness. This is how we're supposed to function in the church. Paul even wrote in Romans twelve seventeen, Repay no one evil for evil. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. You know, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes because I'm a, I'm a knucklehead, you know, someone will come, and let's just say, you know, it's my wife, and she says something, and I and I'm like sinless until she sins. When she sins, then I join her, right? And God just says, no, it doesn't work that way. And of course, you know, usually it's the other way around. I'm the instigator, but that, man, the way that we work, imagine how different your marriage would be. Imagine how different the church would be if we had these things and we really took them to heart. I'm going to find somebody who's faint-hearted and I'm going to comfort them. Or someone, you know, we see them, they're sick and they're weak and I'm going to hold them up. And someone, maybe they're even unruly and I'm going to love them by warning them. And then someone, and they, you know, they, they tire you but you're patient, you're long-suffering. Or someone, you know, over there and they, they do you wrong. And you're like, justice. And God says, no, be so careful with that. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, that we're actually supposed to love our enemy. Do good to them. Because if not, we're just like the world. He closes there in verse 15 by saying, to always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. One translation says, put it, Good should be your objective always among yourselves and in the world at large. And so you always try to be kind. Uh, you always try to be good. As a matter of fact, the word right here, to pursue, it means that you're going to chase after that. You know. And when we have that as a church, man, then what God will do, it, it will be absolutely amazing. I, I don't know if you guys realize are cognizant of where you are how many of you here just out of curiosity um, wish in one sense you can go back to high school and redo it because you're like i'll go back to high school and i'll actually go to class i'll go back to high school and i won't be high (laughs) you know i'll go and i'll pay attention you know because, you know, when we're there in the middle of that, that high school days, we're just not, like, in our right senses, and we don't realize really, like, I think in one sense, some guys do, like, like Mark's son, Randy, he, he did, you know, but, but most of us, they don't, we don't realize the opportunity of where we are at that place in life. And, and if we would, you know, invest ourselves right here, right now, what a difference it would make. And I think that sometimes that's kind of the way it is in the church. Like we go to church out of routine. We go to church because that's what we do on Sundays when we don't realize that God's calling us to go to church to seize this opportunity to worship Him and to help other people and to be helped by others and to grow and to be healthy. And if and if we invest now understanding this beautiful opportunity that we have right here, right now, together, with each other. What God can do in our life. I've been blessed. Because I got, you know, God took me, and God just put me like right in the middle. And He forced me to. I don't know if it forces the right word, but it just... I was right in the middle of that. And I'm afraid that some of you, you're not like right in the middle of that. Like you come and you're on the outskirts. You come and you leave. You come and and maybe there's superficial, not fellowship, but there's superficial conversations going on. And God just says, I want you to open up. Is your heart hard? Open up. Is your heart dying? Open up. Is your heart weak? Open up. And as we do, then, man, we catch the vision as a church to minister to each other. You know, maybe you're here today and, and you're not even walking with Christ. I, and, and, you know, it's not like you were, and, and, I, and I, usually it's not the case. Usually it's not like, well, I don't want Jesus and, and I don't want God. I don't want to go to heaven. It's usually not like that. It's usually just you got caught up in the world. So here you are today. And I just want to encourage you to know that this is an opportunity for a new start in life. You know, when you come back to the Lord, He will run to you. Luke 15 says that when that prodigal son came to his senses, the father ran to him. And so I just pray, you guys, That we'd be where we belong, that we would come back to the Lord. And if you're not a Christian and you're like, well, I don't know really what this is all about. Let me just close by saying this, that this is about a relationship with God. This is not a religion. Church doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Jesus died on that cross for all your sins. They put him in a grave, but he rose again the third day. And I'm, and I know it might sound too good to be true but they call it the gospel which means good news the good news is is that if you give your heart to him if you you know you're just willing to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus then then you can be saved today all your sins forgiven and you'll know for sure that when you die you'll go to heaven you'll have life because Jesus died for you and so I pray that today, if that's you, that today, you would give your life to Christ. Right here, right now. Don't go out there and do whatever you, oh, I'm going to go to soup plantation. No, you know, don't, don't go. Don't do anything. Because there's nothing. There is nothing. There's nothing more important. than your relationship. So please, get right with the Lord. Right here, right now. Okay?